0: Hi, Political Pharmacist Podcast listeners. I'm your host, Eric Geier, and I just want to let you know that I've slowed up in publishing episodes recently due to some things I was involved with around the coronavirus and pharmacy. Add to that being a new parent, and I have a little time to dedicate to this podcast. I apologize for that. Now I'm back, and I'm going to release some episodes that I recorded during the pandemic, and I'm finally getting around to publishing and getting out there for you guys. I apologize for the impromptu break, but these episodes will be some good ones, and I hope the wait was worth it for you. Now, onto the podcast. Welcome to the Political Pharmacist Podcast, the first
1: podcast to focus on the political side of pharmacy. Here's your host,
0: Eric Geyer. Welcome, Political Pharmacist Podcast listeners. I'm your host, Eric Geyer, and with me today, I have Anne Cassidy, who's the Vice President of Federal and State Government Affairs for NCPA, the National Community Pharmacists Association. Ms. Cassidy also was formerly managed of the NCPA's Federal Congressional Affairs Department, left NCPA in 2011 to become a healthcare policy advisor for then-Governor Bobby Jindal of Louisiana. She returned to NCPA in 2018, so pretty recently here. Her previous roles also include working or serving as a congressional staffer for Represent, U.S. Representatives Walter Jones of North Carolina and Bob Riley of Alabama. She also holds a law degree from Mississippi College of Law and is a graduate of Louisiana State University. So Anne, thanks for coming on here today. I'm glad to get your insight, not just because you work for NCPA, but also because you have kind of a legal background with this. So you provided a, an angle that us pharmacists might not necess- necessarily see with this. So thanks for coming on the podcast.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm actually really excited about the possibilities what could happen when the Supreme Court hears these raw arguments and makes a decision? I think it could potentially be a landscape changing opinion that comes out of the Supreme court.
0: i'm I'm with you on that. I think this could be a a huge game changer for us here in here in pharmacy world. so i'm I'm excited for this more, as as much as anybody is. I'm sure you're probably more excited than I am, though with this.
1: <laughs> yeah. and so without getting too much into the weeds, I think really, at the end of the day, the importance of this is in terms of what the plan being able to actually have real regulatory authority over plans and PBMs in states, because currently even in states that have the most robust, comprehensive PBM regulations and oversight, They're very limited or at least one arm or both arms are tied behind their backs because in many cases, I mean, probably up to 40, 50 percent of plans in states are considered ERISA plans. Thus, there is no regulatory authority over them. And it's also had a chilling effect with states because states are concerned about passing legislation, legislators and even regulators, because they're not sure what they who and what they can regulate.
0: Yeah. And I've always found that point a little interesting because if they're the ones who are paying, how are they violating their own ERISA rights to somebody they're paying? But that's that's something we'll dive into here a little bit. So again, like I said, I'm glad to have you on the podcast. Obviously, some big news in pharmacy. The Supreme Court of the United States, if you follow things on Twitter, you can look them up with hashtag SCOTUS, has decided to take up the uh, case that involves regulation of PBMs. Can you elaborate on exactly what this case is and what they're deliberating on?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So there's been, so the issue, and it's been a, a gray area, if you will, is what, if anything, can be regulated, the practices of what are considered a risk or self-funded plans, and those are generally your union-sponsored or your employer-sponsored plans, so, you know, that makes up a huge chunk of health care plans in the United States. And so, really, in the simplest of terms is the Supreme Court is looking at Can states regulate the relationship between PBMs and pharmacies, even if the PBMs are representing ERISA-sponsored plans? So generally when you're dealing with ERISA, and ERISA is very complicated, and I'm not going to get into sort of all the nuts and bolts, but really ERISA was passed really to, for oversight of the plans and the beneficiaries. And so when you see these PBM regulations, if you will, they really don't touch plans and they really don't touch beneficiaries. It's all about the regulating the relationship between the PBMs and the pharmacies. And interestingly enough, and I think this, it had a huge impact on if the Supre- when the Supreme court decided to hear the case, the Supreme court asked the U S solicitor general's office, you know, their recommendation on if they should hear the case. Not only did the U S solicitor general, who is the kind of consider that one of the, you know, the top litigator of the United States of America, the U.S. Solicitor Office came back and said, "A, yes, you should hear the case, and B, the Eighth Circuit was wrong. Arkansas was right that states absolutely have the authority to regulate the relationship between PBMs and pharmacies." So, and from what I heard, and individuals who are who follow and work with the Supreme Court a lot closer than I do, they say a lot of times U.S. Solicitor General they may make the recommendation to hear the case. But they don't always come out and say whatever circuit court made the decision was wrong or right. So that was a really big deal. Wow! They validated all of the state of Arkansas, the Arkansas Attorney General's arguments on why states should be able to regulate PBM. So I think that was a really huge turning point in all of this.
0: So if you don't mind backing up a second, that's that's all super important, but how did this go from Arkansas, one of the smallest, more rural states, to the Supreme Court? I, I saw that on your timeline with your guys' website, which I'll link here in the, the show notes for people, that this process was about 15 years in the making, not just with Arkansas, with some of the other states like Maine, but how did this go from these small little states to the Supreme Court?
1: Good question. So I, and I don't have the, and I apologize, as everyone knows, where I'm telecommuting right now, because every with everything that's going on so I don't have the chart in front of me but I think it was and you may have in front of me but I think a couple years ago Arkansas passed their PBM legislation PCMA actually challenged the legislation citing ERISA and other federal preemption issues it went before the district court Arkansas lost It went before the Eighth Circuit. Unfortunately, the Eighth Circuit found in PCMA found that there was ERISA and Part D preemptions in in that particular case. We think, and a lot of different other legal minds thought that the Eighth Circuit got it wrong. So the Supreme Court actually filed a writ of cert to the Supreme Court asking that they hear the case. And so at the end of twenty. 19, the U.S. Solicitor General, I brought that up a little, you know, a little bit earlier. After the Supreme Court asked the Solicitor General's office if they would recommend they hear the case at the end of 2019, the U.S. Solicitor General said, "What I've mentioned earlier, yes, you should hear the case." And also, the Eighth Circuit got it wrong, and so now that's how we are before the Supreme. Court. That's why this case is before the Supreme Court, Rutledge versus PCMA, and it's the first PBM case that the Supreme Court has ever heard.
0: Yeah, and that's that's such a huge thing, is because it's the first time the Supreme Court has got to hear it. So we're getting like literally the law of the land being imposed here on this ruling. Now, the one thing that I thought was interesting here, there's there's no necessarily individual PBM here. Like this isn't um, Optum, uh, Caremark, or insert whatever other PBMs are out there. But this is actually PCMA, which if correct me if I'm wrong, is a lobbying group for them who's suing. Is that normal it's, in a situation like this?
1: It's their trade association.
0: Okay. Like
1: the yes, it's their trade association. And I don't I don't think it's necessarily abnormal in different industries. You may see the trade association named as a party to the case. So they and they go in, they mean PCMA. They go in and they're usually the named party. So you've had, they've challenged the Iowa, they challenged Iowa law. They've challenged the North Dakota law. They've challenged the Oklahoma law. Most, that's the most recent. They challenged, I think that they were the named party in the main case back in 2005. So they generally are the named party in these lawsuits, challenging legislation or laws that have passed in states.
0: Okay. That was just something I thought. I know a lot of uh, pharmacists were kind of interested about and us not having law degrees. It's good to hear someone who does kind of weigh in on that a little bit. What do you think this case will mean for the future of PBMs and pharmacies?
1: Well, so if it's decided that, I mean, and and the decision or the opinion, if you will, can be in many different ways. It can be very narrow. They can say in case, because one of the specific provisions that's being litigated is can states require pbms to pay actual acquisition costs for reimbursements so the the arkansas law states that pbms can't pay below acquisition costs and the burden is on the pbm to show that the pharmacy could have purchased it at the reimbursement that they were paying so they could be something very very narrow like that or it could say yes states can regulate sort of anything in regards to the relationship between the PBM and the pharmacy. So depending how broad or narrow it is, it could have, like I said, sweeping, landscape-changing impact on on state regulations, because right now, even in states that have very, very robust, comprehensive PBM regulation laws, they're only as good as the number of plans you can actually regulate. So if a third to... You know, 30% to 40% of plans, or even maybe 50%, depending on the state, and I don't have the stats in front of me, are considered ERISA and they're exempt or protected from regulation. It's not particularly helpful.
0: Yeah, that's, you know, that's a good point.
1: And so, if you all of a sudden, if states can actually have real oversight and real authority to regulate, I think it could be hugely impactful. And I think it will be hugely impactful. But on the flip side, people have to remember that the, and I do feel cautiously optimistic that there will be a positive, if you will, for us, for pharmacies opinion. But on the flip side, you just never know. And so I don't think it's necessarily the end of the world. And I know that it will be very discouraging if, for some reason, they say that you can't regulate ERISA plans. But, you know, we'll continue to, to push on. But, you know, there's always that possibility. But I am cautiously optimistic, especially with all the support. And we might want to talk about that in a little bit. All the support Arkansas got, you know, um, received from amicus briefs in, in support of their opinion.
0: Yeah, and speaking of that support, I forget the exact number, but it was almost, I think it was every state's attorney general or AG signed on in support of Arkansas on this. There might have been one or two that skipped out, but I know mine here in Ohio did, and everywhere I read, they hopped on. Is that correct with what, I'm, uh, what yeah, I am read?
1: There were 46 state attorneys general that signed on. It was 45 plus District of Columbia, so it was 46. And that's not including Arkansas because Arkansas, obviously, so that would have been 47 who signed on, which was fantastic. Every state pharmacy association signed on to the brief with NCPA, the Arkansas Pharmacists Association, APHA, and NASPA. So. Every, I mean, so that was fantastic. You had the National Council of State Insurance Legislators, called NCOL, which is an association that state insurance legislators, folks who serve on the state insurance committees, um, are part of. They signed, they filed a brief in support. You had the oh, wow. American Medical American Medical Association who signed a brief. You had patient advocacy groups that signed a brief, I mean, it was absolutely phenomenal, the support behind behind Arkansas. And another interesting group, FMI, or the Food Marketing Institute, they actually filed a brief in support because obviously a lot of these stores do have pharmacies, but more importantly, a lot of their members are what are considered or have ERISA plans. And so they had a very interesting perspective. They said, you know, as employers who have ERISA plans, We would not be negatively impacted if states were to regulate the relationship between the pbms and the pharmacy so they have a really fascinating unique perspective and i do think that will be very very positive for the justices to read their particular brief
0: oh yeah if you have somebody who basically pays for or is impacted by the (laughs) ERISA plans saying this won't negatively impact us in any way shape or form heck if anyway it might positively impact them because they'll be paying less overall That's huge, and that kind of shows exactly why the regulation might be needed. Is that kind of your stance on that?
1: Oh, absolutely, absolutely. So there was a lot of work and a lot of conversations between everyone before just making sure everybody was on the same page, and everything that was being said was complimenting one another. But I was really, really intrigued by their particular argument. And If if anybody wants a little light reading, I recommend going and reading some of these briefs.
0: Yeah, that it it might not be the lightest of readings. I can say that. But, but uh, I will link a lot of the, some of the stuff that NCPA has in the show notes here for people so they can kind of follow it. This is not the normal thing that we think of as pharmacists and it's a little outside of our box, but literally impacts everything we do because it's the law and how we're paid. So I think it's important to make sure to get that information out there to everybody. What is NCPA's stance on this case? Can you elaborate that a little bit? I, we kind of dived into it a, for a minute.
1: Well, I mean, our stance has been that a court, you know, based on prior precedents for different ERISA cases, and I can't cite them right now, so I apologize it's not in front of me, that the Eighth Circuit and other district courts have gotten it completely wrong, that in fact the Supreme Court, based on Supreme Court precedent, that states do have the ability to regulate the relationship between the PBMs and the pharmacy. So based and, and this is this would not be sort of an original legal thought that the Supreme Court, based on past cases, has said that you know, it's the traditional sort of right of state right? like the healthcare insurance industry. And this this is really no different. And that if, you know, that if every single thing that states did that involved Arisa plans was, you um, prohibited in terms of regulation, they wouldn't have the authority to do anything. And so, um, based on past legal principles, the states do have the authority and the right to um, regulate that particular relationship. It's a very narrow relationship as well. So, um, it's not, they're not saying that they can go in and and regulate everything in regards to service just specifically the relationship between the PBM and the pharmacy, which is very narrow.
0: Yeah. And the one thing I found really interesting about listening to a lot of this stuff was that the bipartisanship of it, it seems like it doesn't matter if you have an R by your name, a D by your name, an L, if you're in the Bernie Sanders camp of the Socialist Democrats, it seems like this is a pretty bipartisan decision that's being made that's being presented to them from the groups who are presenting it against PCMA. Is that what you guys are seeing with this too? And why you have a little bit of a hopeful optimism, if you will?
1: Absolutely. Um, from everything from the the attorneys general who signed on, I think it was almost 50-50 because it's almost a 50-50 breakdown in Republican and Democratic AGs. You have, you know, it's interesting, you have California, California and Texas collaborating, their AGs collaborating on this. I mean, they could be, couldn't be more different in terms of sort of political ideologies, um, supporting Arkansas, which tends to be, more conservative, but I also see you see this it trickling over into the legislative branches, both the state and federal. I mean, you have very, very strong, of, you don't see many issues these days where you have equal amount of Republicans and Democrats yeah. on le- supporting legislation, but that's not, I mean, but that is true in all the state legislators, that's true in Congress and the Senate and the House. So, this is a, a issue just specifically, we're talking specifically about the Supreme Court issue, but more in general with community pharmacy. I do see you see a lot of bipartisan support. And a lot of that has to do with you know where they're located as well. It's interesting. I mean they they generally tend to be in urban centers and more rural settings. and um, so sometimes you see the most liberal and the most conservative of lawmakers who are co-sponsoring or original sponsors of legislation so it's a very sort of interesting dynamic
0: yeah and i think that's one thing that people always want to kind of hear about because we hear so often the supreme court is split with these conservative and these liberal justices and these couple who are in the middle they're always deciding it whereas this one when you look at that part doesn't have it so it could be very very open to interpretation without seeing a whole lot of bipartisanship from what we've seen in you know cases like roe versus wade or some of those other more. Uh, decisive cases that fall along party lines, which I think is very unique to this case and to pharmacy in general. That what we're doing here and what you guys are supporting is almost neutral, which is again very rare in the political world we're dealing with these well, days. Well, it's
1: an interesting issue, and again, I don't mean to say, and, and I don't want to make all parties to say seem one thing and a, and the other party another thing. But it's sort of an interesting case because generally, many times you see, and this is again a very broad. High level look at this. Um, many times, sort of the conservatives think of, you know, states' rights, let states determine what's going on in their own states, don't let, you know, federal intervention. And on the other side, many times, more maybe um, the liberal side of things look like, you know, regulation's okay, regulation is necessary in order, sort of, to even things out. So this case has a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you have States rights issue, which, again, I, I don't want to paint, I'm painting a broad brush, but just for, you know, the sake of this this podcast where you have the conservative sort of look at the importance of states' rights, and then maybe um, more on the liberal side, the importance of regulation in order to even things out. So, again, and, and so you'll have both of those arguments, I think, before the Supreme Court justices.
0: Yeah, and that, that, I think that's the perfect way of looking at it. That's the exact same way I looked at it and why I tend to have a pretty optimistic view of this as well. So I'm, I'm glad that the way I see it and the way you guys see it, we're all on the same page with Absolutely. that. How can pharmacists who care or are concerned about this help speak up or spread the word or show support for NCPA and their profession with this?
1: Well, one thing, I, I'm, I'm disappointed that some, think, some of our planned events have had to be canceled obviously with this pandemic and I don't know when this will be aired so hopefully by the time this is aired things have gotten a lot better but um you know we had a fly-in that we had to cancel that was just be at the end of April and then the week after April 27th was the um was the Supreme Court oral argument and we're not sure what's going to happen with that and I'm sorry I'm kind of getting off topic real quick but the March oral arguments have been temporarily delayed and so i don't know what that's going to mean for the april 27th or the april arguments um that remains to be seen but i do think that just you know getting engaged um you know helping and i know a lot of people have thank you so much for helping with the legislative defense fund these these um court cases are not cheap they're very expensive and you know, this has been going on for a long time. NCPA and other, and Arkansas Pharmacists Association and other pharmacists association like North Dakota and Iowa, who have had to fight these things, have been involved in this type of litigation for a long time. So, supporting NCPA's legislative defense fund or your state association legislative defense funds are extraordinarily important because we do hear a lot. Honestly, uh, you know, we need to sue them. We need to sue that, to sue those individuals. We need lawsuits, but They're extraordinarily expensive and so it's really important that you know you get involved in that aspect but I do think continue also do what so many pharmacists are doing. They become their own advocates and they haven't been silent and that's extraordinarily important. Meeting with their state legislators, writing letters, testifying at committee meetings, telling their story. Um, I I, I think that um, that's the most important thing that you can possibly do, but um, you know, just continue and and, and don't be silent. Be, be be an advocate.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you brought up that this does cost money. <laughs> NCPA does not have bottomless <laughs> pockets here to just go in. And- start funding lawsuits against everybody. You think pharmacists are expensive. Lawyers are way more expensive, especially at this level. So, and I, yeah. and I love the way you brought up some of those free things you can do, sharing it in social media, getting other people engaged who might even be pharmacists. We've seen some patient advocates really pushing this too, such as like Loretta Bosing with, uh, some of the mail order stuff and other legislation PBMs have done. So that's, that's awesome to bring up some of those free ways to do it. So thanks for doing that.
1: No, absolutely. Um, We—it's exciting now. You have—it's—it's it's not just now. It's not just pharmacists. It's patients. It's physicians. They have a strong voice, and um, physicians are very well organized. And they've been—they sort of—they have seen the light, and they understand the problems with PBMs. And frankly, they're concerned that PBMs are 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 engaging in the practice of medicine, if you will, when they're you know changing a patient's prescription, denying it, the prior authorization issues, and so it's become, you know, problematic for physicians as well.
0: Yo, yeah, oh yeah, I've seen them. They they have so many issues they're dealing with with PBMS. They're almost they're almost as bad as pharmacists with this. Obviously, we have the financial impact more than they do. Yeah. But they're having to make huge decisions about prior authorizations that are getting denied and everything else. that change patients therapy that they thought might have been better with something else. Mm-hmm. Uh, The other thing here I wanted to say was the original date for this to kind of like you said the oral arguments were in March and then there's supposed to be a hearing or I might be using the term wrong, uh, April 27th. That's probably all delayed from what we've seen with the current outbreak. So I want to make sure that people are aware of that. So we're going to have to keep our eyes peeled as to when this is going to all go down and to when groups like NCPA can get people out there to help support this side sort of uh, this decision with a Supreme Court case and show advocacy for it. So definitely make sure you're following NCPA, National Community Pharmacists Association, on every platform of social media you can so that you can get that follow up for their newsletter and definitely even consider joining them. That helps support stuff like this to help support pharmacy. I cannot stress that enough. So that's just something that kind of throw it out there. I don't want you guys to shamelessly plug yourself. I'll shamelessly plug you because I've seen this work that you guys are doing and it's awesome. So as pharmacists, make sure you're getting people engaged with that. Make sure you're sharing this stuff because this doesn't just impact us. Like she said, this impacts patients and physicians too, which is essentially everybody in the country. So this is a huge thing. Obviously, we don't know when to expect the ruling, but what else do you think listeners should know so that they can help educate people and educate other pharmacists on this topic?
1: Well, NCPA does have a fantastic Supreme Court resource page, so please go check that out. It has has some great one-pagers, some charts, information such as that. Um, In terms of the advocacy sort of side of things, there's not that much to do with that because it's not, you know, you don't write letters to the Supreme Court, that's not appropriate, but I, I just think that, I mean, I think letting legislators, reminding legislators this is going on, but, you know. I'm just using, I'm thinking right now in this time and place that we are in today, specifically with the COVID-19 and the importance of pharmacies on the front line. And it really makes me, you know, the importance, what if they're not there, especially in rural areas? Where yeah. this is going? On because when these vaccines come out, when there's more testing, when right now in, in most towns, it's just the grocery stores and the pharmacies that are open that pharmacies are home delivering, um, what would happen if they weren't there? And if there is not something that's that's done, if you're not able to regulate PBMs and sort of stop these sort of unethical, I think, um, behaviors and practices, then that's a real possibility. Um, several months ago, NCPA did a survey among our members, and two-thirds said, because I'm using drR but there's a lot of other, you know, problems out there that, you know, if these DR fees, if something's not done about them, potentially two-thirds may not be in business in two years from now. That's scary. If this pandemic going on around, I mean, it's, it's, it just shows you the urgency and the importance of getting these regulations in place to make sure that these frontline, which they, this is what they are, frontline healthcare providers are there to take care of patients. Because something like this will happen again. Absolutely. It's just Inevitable. So I just wanted to point that out. I I thought about that a lot over the last couple weeks, and especially every article you read, it's about the grocery stores and the pharmacies being open. And so um, it's particularly important that they remain a viable health care provider throughout the country.
0: Yeah, that's something that is hitting home with a lot of pharmacists right now with the how easily we're exposed to all this and how we have to be open to take care of people. It's what we signed up for, but there could definitely be a, probably a few more measures to help keep us a little bit better protected in times like these. And if pharmacies had the finances to pay for it because they were reimbursed better, that'd be one way we could go out and obtain the materials to help you know have a backup supply so we can do this. But currently we're seeing be- because reimbursements are so low, a lot of places don't have the funds to uh, to prepare ahead of time for it, unfortunately, which is a little scary, but... Again, to your Absolutely. point.
1: And, and one thing else I want to just bring up is what has something out NCPA we're already looking at. We're going through statutes. Something that's just going to be extraordinarily important is a post Supreme Court or post CODIS opinion or decision if it's still at the end of June. So, what the next sort of step will be, and if they do decide that in favor of Arkansas and opening up regulations among you know, ERISA sponsored plans is what state laws need to be updated. We got to get ready, get legislation written, ready to go when when states go back into session to make sure laws are updated if necessary. Yep. So that's going to be a huge lift. I just want everyone to know, NCPA is already starting to pull these you know state laws. It's it, it's a lot, but um, I j- I think that's very important to make sure that we're ready to you know to go immediately because. You know, even, you know, when July comes and we're working on this, state state sessions will become, you know, before we know it. So mm-hmm. that's something we're already working on just on everyone to know. But um, just to keep that in mind and and folks in state, state execs, other individuals involved in legislation that um, we need to be ready to update laws depending on what the Supreme Court decides.
0: Yeah, I love that you guys are doing that type of work to. Help support the states and the state organizations, if you will, because when if this does go the way that we're optimistic it does go, it could be a full foot on the gas and don't let up moment when it comes to some of this stuff. Absolutely.
1: So um, you know, stay tuned for more there. But we are already we're already starting to review um, existing statutes.
0: All right. Th- hey, thanks for uh, thanks for doing all that, and we uh, as pharmacists appreciate what you guys are doing there. Um, two questions I ask everyone who comes on the podcast. I think I know what your answers are going to be here, so you can probably keep them a little brief. If you could change one thing about pharmacy, what would you change?
1: <laughs> um, I would. I, well, there's actually two things. Can I say two things? Yeah, you can say two things. First, I would um, limit the role of pharmacy benefit managers. I don't think that is incredibly surprising, <laughs> and I don't. And I may not be of the I may be a little bit different than some folks and I didn't say eliminate. And I'll tell you what I mean by that is there, we need someone to administer. I almost call it like a credit card processor, but there needs to be someone there, whether you call it a PBA pharmacy benefit administrator, which they originally were. Um, I think that's important, but I also think that if we get out um, you know, if that's fixed we could get sort of out of this defensive stance and go into an offensive stance and allow pharmacists to practice the top of their license i think there's so much they can do so much i mean you know opening up um act healthcare access for individuals um you know making life easier for a lot of folks you go in i mean i used to always use this as an example when i'm talking to lawmakers Someone can get tested for strep throat. So you're a mom or a dad and you bring you know, and you don't have to go necessarily sit in doctor's office. You get tested and you find out that you have strep throat and then they can prescribe and dispense that medication that's needed at that particular, you know, point in time. So I think I look at those two. I mean, ultimately I would love, you know, pharmacists to be able to do more but they're because they're trained to do these things. Right. And and get a lot more and just as important, get compensated for those services. Yeah, I need to, I need to make sure that's clear.
0: Yeah, that's a, that's a huge one. If there was one law you could change specifically, and I don't know if you know the state laws as well since you work at the federal level, but there, if there's one particular law you could aim at, federal or state, what would you change?
1: I think I would get rid of all these limited networks and allow, maybe this is passing laws, any willing provider because I do think it's been u- used as sort of a weapon to keep specific pharmacies out of networks. So I think that would be particularly helpful. I also think I would get rid of the definition of specialty medication.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, that's that's a good one.
1: <laughs> I think it's been a made-up definition. It, it drives me crazy, and I know it's difficult, and everybody's going back and forth. And I, I'm not sure that I think there really is a such thing. And I think that if people are capable of dispensing, they should be able to dispense, dispense them. Um, I know that's a little probably more controversial, but um, it, it frustrates me to no end. But I do think that sort of using the also preferred or limited networks is just a way It's an anti competitive practice. It's just sort of a weapon used to, you know, keep certain pharmacies out of networks and be able to serve their patients and to steer um, because of and to steer patients to affiliate pharmacies, yeah, at PBM. And,
0: and I think it's interesting because it's not just pharmacists saying that. We're hearing patients say that. We're hearing. had an author, uh, Matt Stoller, on the podcast. Even he was saying <laughs> things like that. So it's it's not just pharmacists who are saying that's anti-competitive. So that's I'm I'm kind of glad to hear you support that. <laughs> awesome. I mean, there's
1: things I'll probably think of after we get off this podcast. Um, <laughs> But um, those are just two things that that come to mind that just drive me crazy, and there's sort of no rhyme or reason for them either.
0: Oh yeah, totally agree. Hey, thanks for coming on the podcast, Anne. I appreciate it. Um, Again. Everyone, please go support NCPA. They've been doing just amazing work with this, and they're getting backed up by almost every single pharmacy organization too, so that should really tell you something. And when the American Medical Association even backs them up, that should really tell you something that what they're doing isn't the right, the right spot for patients here. So, hey, th- and thanks for joining me again. I appreciate it.
1: Um, um, it's my pleasure, and, and I just want to sort of leave with this. I want to thank every, everyone out there who, who works so hard in their pharmacies, but also as advocates. I want to thank you um for moving the profession forward we appreciate all the work you do and and we'll continue to work as hard we can for you on this side of things as well
0: thank you we appreciate that i know as a pharmacist myself that is that means the world to us because that helps take the burden off our back a little bit so thanks again and listeners, if you can, leave us a five-star review. It helps people find us, share this podcast, kind of help give this information out to other pharmacists who might not know what this is or might not have even heard of it, although I kind of doubt that with how much I've seen this go around social media these days. But as always, thanks for listening to the Political Pharmacist Podcast, your prescription for pharmacy and politics.